0: today's message on tithing is actually prepared by uh, Deanna and Catherine. So we're going to be going through uh, two things, um, a scripture study sheet that Deanna prepared, which you will find in your bulletin, and an outline, questions that I wrote that Catherine answered, and you will have to fill in the answer on your outline or your list of questions, which is, a handout I think everybody has now, as we go, you have one line to answer each question. So you can write like maybe one sentence or a couple of references, or yes or no, if you're that kind of person, if that's how you answer your test questions. Um, But before we start, a question and a statement of purpose. Our question is this, what are we doing What is our goal? What's the Christian thing we're doing? Um, Well, to answer that, or to look at a popular answer, uh, Catherine has been taking us through a study on church history. And recently, we have learned about a movement called Radical Pietism that has heavily influenced the way each of us in this room think. Or, if you're listening from India, it has heavily influenced the way you think about your Christian faith. So how do we answer the question, what are we doing? Uh, Well, a radical pietist or someone who thinks like a radical pietist might answer something like this. We meet at church to meet with God. God cares about what's in our hearts. In fact, he cares more about our hearts than anything in the world. What God wants is for all of us to practice true religion from a pure heart, a heart that is filled with faith and love for him. And that's it. And so that's why Jesus gave us the Great Commission. Slide one. Which says share your faith. Teach them to believe in the uh, the one God has sent and to have faith that the world may be a bad place, but God will take us to heaven. (laughs) Oh, whoops, I wasn't reading from the Bible. I was reading from the radical pietistic gospel. So, The pietistic movement rightly reminded us that God does not judge by outward appearances. God looks at the heart. But, brothers and sisters, there is work to be done. The real Great Commission says, Jesus came, which is always a good start. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to do all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always. Amen. To the end of the age. So that's what we're doing. We're doing the Great Commission. All of the Christians everywhere in the world, in history and now and in the future, are working together for one goal, discipling all nations to the glory of God. We're organized into little units called congregations or local churches. Now, where does the money come from to do this work that we're all doing? This work of discipling and teaching everyone in the world? It comes from tithes and offerings. And that's the topic of our sermon today, giving tithes. Tithing is belonging and working together toward our common goal. What is our common goal? To be fruitful and multiply disciples. Not tithing and sexual sin are the same sin. I want all the benefits of community without making a covenant of membership, without putting my money where my mouth is. Sexual sin is wanting some of the best benefits of a marriage with no covenant of membership. Our tithes are given to the local church of which we individually are members. In the Old Testament, the tithe was given to the... Levites, Levites, the priests, Levites. It was their food and their money. Without tithes, they starved to death and nobody had a pastor. All of the things done by the Old Testament priests are now being done by the church. So we're all priests, according to the New Testament, so we just tithe to ourselves, right? Right? No, not exactly. Nice try. But we all get to participate in the work by tithing to our local church. Unlike paying taxes, to quote John Weiss, paying the tithe is paying tribute to King Jesus. But this is not forced tribute demanded by a tyrant conqueror. This is tribute given to the king whom you love. Let's see our next slide. Here is a pie chart of how we might think about tithing. We got here. This is my money and this is my slice. That's 90% a god's slice, 10%. My wife will tell you this is how I think about pumpkin pie. <laughs> I I always make sure there's a slice for her and a slice for me. So but really this is kind of how we think, is it not? So um, so this, this message comes out of uh, two conversations with good friends, this is not directed towards you guys. Um, I told you when we finished the conversation, uh, yeah I think that's what the Bible says, unquote. And uh, so this is, this is uh, my further study, so here it is. Um, if you open your bulletins and find your scripture verses on tithing, this was pre- prepared by Deanna and I'm gonna read it and I'm gonna read her notes. Um, Beginning with Malachi chapter three, most of you are really familiar with this passage. When we read this, we want to see what's in God's heart. So we want to try to move from the mindset that we might have had or that our flesh might have had that, you know, I got my money and God's cut. So we're gonna try to throw that out and shift to Malachi chapter three, verse six. For I, the Lord, do not change, therefore, You, O children of Jacob, are not consumed, like destroyed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the tests, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not, So the word tithe means tenth. Tithing means giving a tenth of all that I have and earn, or of all that I earn to the Lord. The number 10 in the scriptures is consistently representative of completeness or the whole pie. So giving a tenth, giving that slice to the Lord isn't giving him his cut, it's giving him a representative, this 10th says that, really, this represents the whole. And in the Bible, the tithe is sometimes nicknamed the first fruits. So it's saying, like, you're first in my life. So when I, when I cut a tithe check, I'm making a statement to God before the angels, you're first in my life, you get all of me. And, and this is just a little sample but all of me is for you. There's, there's really no cut left for me. All I am and all I have is yours. Tithing is belonging to a community that says that together and does that together. And it's, contribu- it's participating in the work of the ministry, even if you still have some discipleship to go. We all will be discipled our whole lives, hopefully. Tithing involves thanking the Lord for his provision and trusting that the Lord will take care of you now and in the future because you're giving him the first fruits. So like you just cut your paycheck. It's like, it feels like you got taxed again, right? So, uh, so you're like, uh, what's gonna be left for the expenses? So it's a statement of trust. I trust that you are able to take care of me. As, this, as these verses point out, the Lord will bless those who trust him by tithing. Uh, Note that tithes tithes and contributions are not the same thing. Contributions can be given in addition to the tithe as the Lord directs you to give. Now, I notice uh, 30% of you are looking at me, which is cool. Um, I assume 70% of you or so are speed reading this. And if you speed read this, that's okay, but you can take it home with you too. So, um, Nathan will tell you that if you speed read, you'll get less out of it. Deuteronomy chapter 26. I'll try to read quickly. When you come into the land that the Lord is, your God has given you for an inheritance, and have taken possession of it and live in it, you shall take some of the first of all, the fruit of the ground, which you harvest from your land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you shall put it in a basket. And you shall go to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there. And you shall go to the priest who is in office at that time and say to him, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come into the land that the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. Then the priest shall take the basket from your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. And you shall make response before the Lord your God. A wandering Aramean was my father. And he went down into Egypt and sojourned there, few in number. And there he became a nation, great, mighty, and populous. And the Egyptians treated us harshly and humiliated us and laid on us hard labor. Then we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers. And the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression, are you guys getting the feel of this? This is like saying the Pledge of Allegiance. Like all of the people that came out of, that, that went through that desert and into the promised land and, and got to plant when none of their parents had planted anything except maybe when they were little kids in Egypt. You know, if that, well, I guess that would have been just Joshua and Caleb that survived, right? So none of their parents had ever planted so much as a garden or a crop, right? And so now these people are coming, and they're like giving the Pledge of Allegiance to God, kind of. You can almost feel their hand over their heart. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great deeds of terror, with signs and wonders. And he brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey And behold, now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground which you, O Lord, have given me. And you shall set it down before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. And you shall rejoice in all the good that the Lord your God has given to you and to your house, you and the Levite and the sojourner who is among you. So you're supposed to invite somebody, invite them for dinner. Thank you, Stephen. When you have finished paying all the tithe of your produce in the third year, which is the year of tithing, giving it to the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that, so that they may eat within your towns and be filled, then you shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed the sacred portion out of my house. And moreover, I have given it to the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless and the widow, according to all your commandment that you have commanded me. I have not transgressed any of your commandments, nor have I forgotten them. I have not eaten of the tithe while I was in mourning, or removed any of it while I was unclean, or offered any of it to the dead. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord my God. I have done according to all that you have commanded me. Look down from your holy habitation from heaven, And bless your people, Israel, and the ground that you have given us, as you swore to our fathers a land flowing with milk and honey. This day, the Lord your God commands you to do these statutes and rules. You shall therefore be careful to do them with all your heart and with all your soul. You have declared today that the Lord is your God, and that you will walk in his ways and keep his statutes and his commandments and his rules and will obey his voice. And the Lord has declared today that you are a people for his treasured possession as he has promised you, and that you are to keep all his commandments. Can you see how tithing and belonging go together? Are you feeling the heart of this? So that's God's perspective on tithing. So we want to shift to that. And that he will set you and that he will set you in praise and in fame and in honor high above all nations that he has made. And that you shall be a people holy to the Lord your God, as he has promised. So tithing is a recognition of God's blessing you and bringing you into the land which is his kingdom. We don't live in Israel, but we do live in the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God is all the land and all the earth where God's people are uh, are joined together doing God's will, right? So the tithe of your earnings should be given to the Lord first before doing anything else with the earnings. Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30. Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. If a man wishes to redeem some of his tithe, he shall add a fifth to it. And every tithe of herds and flocks, every tenth animal of all that pass under the herdsman's staff, shall be holy to the Lord." One shall not differentiate between good or bad, neither shall he make a substitute for it, and if he does substitute for it, then both it and the substitute shall be holy. It shall not be redeemed. If you use your tithes for something else first, then add one-fifth of interest to it when giving the tithe to the church. Numbers 18, verse 21. To the Levites I have given every tithe in Israel for an inheritance, in return for their service that they do, their service in the tent of meeting. So that the people of Israel do not come near the tent of meeting, lest they bear sin and die. But the Levites shall do the service of the tent of meeting, and they shall bear their iniquity. It shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations and among the people of Israel that they, that's the Levites, shall have no inheritance. For the tithe of the people of Israel, which they present as a contribution to the Lord, I have given to the Levites for an inheritance. Therefore, I have said of them that they shall have no inheritance among the people of Israel. So did you catch there that... um, in that numerous passage, that the, uh, that the Levites are doing this thing that, that pastors don't do anymore. Jesus does. So you don't like stay outside the church building, bring your tithes, but not get too close and definitely not come into the sanctuary because like, you know, then you'll got to bear your own sin, right? So there's something different here. The meaning of this is that the Levites prophetically foreshadowed the coming of Jesus, who is our true Levite, who bears our sins so that we can come close. So we're paying the tithe to who? To the church. This says to to the Levite, and Jesus is the, the real Levite, the true Levite that was prophetically foreshadowed here. So I'm just gonna give my tithe to God. Not... God has given the tithe to the Levite. So God is giving the tithe to those who serve in the temple. So so we're thinking carefully about this together. The tithe is given to the Lord and the Lord gives it to the Levite who does the service in the temple. Now Jesus fulfills the purpose of the Levite service in the temple, but there are still pastors and elders, uh, church employees that do the work of the Lord and do do, like the teaching, and the tithe is given to them like to Jesus, and Jesus still gives it to them. You get it? Is that too complex? You gotta love the Old Testament, I love it. It all points to Christ. Okay. So the tithe is for those who do the Lord's work, specifically those who are responsible for managing the household of God. So in the Old Testament, that was the Levites. The New Testament equivalent is pastors and elders of your local church. So raise your hand if you've read Hebrews. Hebrews. I love Hebrews. I once had this class, it was called Hebrews. All we did was read Hebrews and write papers on Hebrews. And after, like one of our assignments was just read through Hebrews, like, and read, and, I can't remember how many times we read it, but it was enough for me to start to get it. So it's a little complicated. If you have trouble in Hebrews, that's okay. It's all about like priests and Levites and this guy named Melchizedek, and offerings and sacrifices, and the blood of bulls and goats and rams, and how all of it, is really all about Jesus, and Jesus is like the ultimate Levite, the ultimate high priest, and the blood of bulls and goats and sheep, like they never took away your sin. Jesus is the real lamb of God, and only the blood that, that we receive in communion, only the blood of Jesus can take away our sin, and that's why he's given us the ceremony of communion as a sign that we don't, we don't do blood of bulls and goats, we don't do sacrifices, there will never be another Christian animal sacrifice. It's highly likely, I think, that one day uh, a a temple for the religion of Judaism will be rebuilt in Israel, right? And I think it's quite probable, possible, that they're gonna start doing animal sacrifices. I remember uh, somebody who looked forward to those things thinking that they were, that that was like a sign of of Jesus' return and that that should be done and wasn't like some kind of pagan thing, which it will be if it happens. Uh, telling me that, that there are groups in Israel that are saving money and they've got like stuff to rebuild the temple like saved up and they're just kind of like ready to go, you know, as soon as some terrorist, you know, blows up the Dome of the Rock or, or something, which is on the Temple Mount where the temple used to be. Now, you know, it's a Muslim temple now, you know? So, so there are people who are looking forward to that, but we do not. If a temple is rebuilt in Jerusalem, it will never be a Christian temple because the only sacrifice good enough to take away our sins is Jesus. That's why all animal sacrifices stopped when Jesus was was born and when he was slaughtered for my sins and yours. And, When he poured out the Holy Spirit into us, when he tabernacled among us, or when he templed among us, um, we are the temple of God in the whole world, right? So we're taking dominion by just living everywhere and being cleansed by his blood and doing the work of evangelism, and that takes tithing. So, So if a temple ever gets rebuilt, it'll be a pagan temple. It won't be a Christian temple. So don't look forward to that. We look back, to learn about the Christ who was to come and has come. Amen. Okay, Hebrews, love Hebrews. There's this guy named Melchizedek. He's in the Old Testament. He he lived at the same time Abraham lived and Abraham is looked to by many Jewish people as like the father of the Jewish nation. You know, like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob got renamed Israel. You know, they're called Israelites. But Abraham is like their father, right? He's like their forefather, okay. So, um, Abraham fights a war, and after he fights this war, he takes 10%, the 10th the cut, the tithe, and he takes it to this guy, and he gives it to him. This is way before Levi, Moses' brother Levi, was born. It's way before there was a temple. It's, it's way before there was a priesthood, Quick question. It's not before there was a priesthood. There's this guy named Melchizedek way back, deep in the Old Testament, back in Genesis, before Levi was born, and he was a priest of God Most High, right? And Abraham tithed to him, okay? Hebrews chapter seven, verse one. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings, and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is, first, by translation of his name, that's Melchizedek, uh, king of righteousness. And then, he is also king of Salem. So, Salem was what Jerusalem used to be called before it became Jerusalem. And Salem means peace, and he was the king of Salem, so... He is the king of peace. Interesting how God like, worked that into history. Kind of cool. The author of Hebrews brings it out. Regarding Melchizedek, Like we don't know anything about him because the Bible doesn't tell us. So the author of Hebrews comments on that, and he says, He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. Like He just kind of appeared, and he's like the king of peace and the king of righteousness. It sounds like someone Someone who was to come. The Lord Jesus, the King of kings, the King of peace, the King of righteousness. He resembled the Son of God and continues to be a priest forever. See how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who receive the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, their brothers, though these also are descended from Abraham. So the Levites and the rest of the Israelites, they're all descended from Abraham. But this man, who does not have his descent from them, from the Levites, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. So Melchizedek blessed Abraham. It is beyond dispute that the inferior, Abraham, is blessed by the superior, this priest of God most high. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, by the Levites, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. You get it? So Melchizedek, he just kind of like shows up in the biblical narrative, doesn't say anything about when he died, doesn't say anything about when he was born. It's just like he's there and he lives. And the author of Hebrews is, co- Hebrew is commenting on that. We're about that. Uh, like Jesus, Jesus is ever living. He, he is. He never started and he just continues to be the priest uh, to whom we pay our tithes and, uh, and who blesses us. Um. One might even say that Levi himself who receives tithes paid tithes through Abraham for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Get it? So Melchizedek is a type of Christ who is our high priest, our king of righteousness and our king of peace. To recognize Christ's authority, we tithe. However, Our tithe to Christ is given to brothers in Christ who are part of the local expression of Christ's body, the church. The Levites of the Old Testament were these brothers. And now those who manage your local church are these brothers. Do you see how the Old Testament folds into the New? The New Testament doesn't replace the Old. The the Old Testament doesn't get... Uh, turned upside down in the new. My wife made um, Jonathan and Darby's uh, uh, wedding cake, and it was, it was a sponge cake, a lemon-flavored sponge cake. I hope you got a slice. I got like She made it like three times over and kept making it like prettier each time until she finally made the one that she actually took to the wedding. And I got a lot of each one. It was very good. And I watched her to make a sponge cake. I was reading about the science of this at like 5 a.m. this morning because she left the cookbook open. And and I love science. Um, I went to a high school of like 3,000 students, and so they had like a billion classes, right? And and I took every single science class they offered. I love science. I, I love this cookbook. It tells you all the biochemistry of food. Sponge cakes, okay? You following? got it? So, sponge cakes are kind of hard to do because you have to fold the egg whites and the egg yolks like with a spatula. You can't just put it in like press play on the mixer, right? It'll ruin your sponge cake, and as soon as you put it in the oven, it will just go and it'll be like a, a pancake or, or like a cracker more, and, and it won't be like fluffy and spongy. And so you have to fold the, the egg yolks and the egg whites together in a certain way and in a certain order or the chemistry won't work. And if you fold it, too, too fast, or too many times, the cake collapses, so it's kind of hard to make. Your um, cake was deliciously yeah. hot. So the Old Testament folds into the New. And we mentioned some things that Jesus fulfilled, so they stopped, but none of it passed away. It continued embodied in Jesus. So some things that passed away animal sacrifices, uh, having a, a temple building where like we couldn't go in because there's this curtain of, that separates the holy from the profane, that's us, right? If we lived in the Old Testament and he is the holy. And, uh, and one thing that continues is the tithe. So these things are folded into the New Testament. Do you see the continuity from Old Testament to New? First Corinthians chapter nine. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings. In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. So a quick note on how our church does that. Um, we, uh, we have four employees of GCF, and none of them receive a regular salary. They all receive like a fraction of a salary. Um, but that's because we have been blessed with other jobs so that we have the opportunity to those who are, you know, full-time or, or part-time with the church, that's uh, Steven and Christiana and uh, Deanna and Greg. Um, and they, uh, they get like kind of this little modest salary from the tithe and, uh, and they're making a lot of sacrifices to be able to take a fraction of a salary, so. Thank God for blessing us to be able to employ them. So your tithes are important. If it weren't for Deanna being on staff, you would not have heard this sermon this morning because she wrote this. Thank you, Deanna. Part two. We're half done. Part two. So um, I had like a billion questions for tithing. I, I boiled them down into 21 questions. And you'll find a list of questions, 21 of them in your outline. It's entitled, Is Tithing For Me? A study on tithing with questions for you to answer. But I have the master sheet. Um, Catherine answered the questions, and I'm going to mostly read them. So these are questions answered. Um, Number one. Do we have a slide that says, where does the word tithe come from? The word tithe is an old-fashioned English word that means 10th. Notice how tithe sounds kind of like 10th. That's it. Tithe is like an old-fashioned old English word that means 10th. So we use it now because in the Bible it says 10th and we use this word because language changes. Question number two, wondered that for like years. Question number two, tell me about the first tithe in the Bible. Genesis chapter 14, verses 17 through 20. Abraham gave Melchizedek, who is a type or an example of what Christ was going to be like. Abraham gave Melchizedek, quote, a 10th of everything. That is, everything, the goods that Abram had gained in the war between Abram and the king of Kedorlaomer and the other kings who were allied with Kedorlaomer. Also, this passage relates that Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought bread and wine to what was essentially a covenantal meal and meeting, at which time Abram paid tithes to Melchizedek. You see the pattern of how we do our church liturgy. We meet for the reading of scripture, we bring our tithes, and we share a covenant meal with the king of peace. Amen. Question number three, who else tithed? We already talked about the Levites. The children of Israel, even including the Levites, who lived on the tithes of the people, that is, they, they paid a tithe of, or they received a tithe of the tithe, uh, Numbers chapter 18. The scriptures do not specifically mention the practice of church members tithing in the New Testament, Ah, you Bible scholars. I was thinking I could be like a slippery little eel and I could just wriggle right out of this whole tithe thing because it's in the Old Testament but not the new. And um, Catherine writes, more on that. Catherine writes, but it is settled church tradition throughout the ages that church, so that's something to be respected, not thrown away if you have maybe an evangelical mindset One of the strengths of the Roman Catholic tradition is the mindset that church tradition is valuable. When evangelicalism was born or invented in the mid-1800s, one thing we embrace, because most of us are evangelicals or come from an evangelical background, right? One thing that was embraced is the idea that so many things are wrong with the Catholic church, we're gonna throw it all out, right? So they threw out many of the things that the Holy Spirit had done and taught in the lives of believers for centuries. So that, that, was, not, that was going overboard. Um, so church tradition matters. I continue. It is has settled church, conti- church tradition throughout the ages that church members should tithe to the local church where they are members and give offerings above their tithes as their finances and consciences permit, to both the local church, other churches, and parachurch ministries. There are many New Testament passages that deal with financial giving by Christians. So it is in the New Testament. But is it the same as the Old Testament tithe? We'll get there. Second Corinthians 9-7 talks about giving cheerfully. 2 Corinthians 8.12 encourages giving what you can afford. First Corinthians 16, 1 Corinthians 16.1-2 discusses giving weekly, although this was for a saved amount to be given to uh, like relief aid in Jerusalem. 1 Timothy 5.17-18 exhorts supporting the financial needs of Christian workers. And Acts 11.29 promotes feeding the hungry wherever they may be And James 1.27 states that pure religion is to help widows and orphans. So there's a whole lot of giving in the New Testament. We also know from reading the New Testament that Jesus and the disciples were financially supported in their itinerant ministry, you know, like going from place to place, by other believers, as were Paul and his ministry team and other Christian ministry teams, missionary teams from earliest times. Okay, so if I haven't persuaded you yet that tithing is for believers living in the New Testament age and that we are rooted in Old Testament saints and practices that are folded in, some fulfilled, some just blooming in the New Testament. Question number four. Is tithing for believers today the same as it was for believers in the Old Testament? Catherine writes, we believe that it is. We believe that the general tenor or teaching of all scripture and Western church practice and tradition from New Testament times to today supports this view. So, did the early disciples and apostles and the early church tithe? <coughs> yes. And we are rooted and born from uh, that heritage. Number five. What if I have wrong motives when I tithe? Have you ever thought this one? Like, is God pleased when I give if I don't want to give? Or does he need me to have a willing heart before I give? Because you know that scripture, it says like, God loves a cheerful giver. I just take that, I do those little mental gymnastics, that little wrestling match with the Bible, and I always come out on top, because, you know. And and I'd be like, God loves a cheerful giver. I'm not giving cheerfully. I'm not cheerful about this at all. So, it would be wrong to give. Hmm. No. No. (laughs) Catherine writes, my motives do not have anything to do with what I believe and know that God wants me to do. So pietism tells us God looks at the heart. Radical pietism suggests God kind of is like mostly or only concerned with the heart. No. I obey God whether I feel like it or not, right? If I have wrong motives, I bring those to him and ask him to correct those. I don't recall a time when I didn't want to tithe. Um, And here's a little personal note. Some of these answers are more theological and some are really personal. And when you're being discipled by somebody, uh, it's helpful to ask them uh, questions about their heart, their motive, their way of life, their practice, and what made them who they are. So listen listen to Catherine. I don't recall a time when I didn't want to tithe. When I was a very young Christian and a teenager, with no job and very little money of my own, I looked forward to being able to work and earn income someday, and to be able to tithe on my income. I was a part of a church where adult members faithfully tithed, and I wanted to be like them. To me, tithing seemed to be almost a privilege, and one that I wanted for myself. There have been very few times in my Christian walk where I did not want to tithe. Even when money was tight and during those few times when I did not tithe, I felt very badly about it and made sure that I made up for it later by following the law as laid down in Leviticus 27:31. It says, if therefore someone should ever want to redeem part of his tithe, he shall add a fifth to it. In other words, if you skip tithing, Later, you should give an additional 20% when you go to make up the tithe. On those rare occasions when I did not tithe, I felt that God was not pleased with me and that these circumstances were a test to see if I would trust him and that I should tithe anyway, even when it seemed like I really didn't have the money. In those instances where I was tested, I always received a blessing when I tithed. And many times, the blessing came in an economic form. And sometimes it came in other forms. My needs were always met. My bills were always paid on time. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we pray that uh, an impartation of the hearts of Greg and Catherine and others like them would be given to us like you took of the spirit that was on Elijah and gave it to Elisha. Thank you, Lord. Question number seven. Does God tell us how much to tithe? Yes. The meaning of the word tithe is tenth. And the Hebrew scriptures indicate that we are to tithe on all the money we have. Every week. You don't have any money left. The Hebrew scriptures indicate that we are to tithe on our increase. So you don't go to your retirement savings account and say, all right, now I'm gonna take out 10%, and the next time I'm gonna take out another 10%. You tithe on the increase, according to the Bible. This means that we tithe on all forms of income we receive. Wages, salaries, bonuses, commissions, gains from sales of assets, such as from the sale of a land or a house, dividend income, interest income, Profits from a business, etc. cetera. Um, I'm gonna skip down just a little for sake of tithe time, um, for sake of tithe. A little slip there. Um, so there is often a question about tithing on before tax income or tithing on after tax income, right? So when I get a paycheck, it's got, you know, I'm just gonna say I earn like a million bucks every week, right? Okay. I get my paycheck and it's That's 80% of my wages, which were a million dollars. Oh, that'd be nice. (laughs) So I don't actually get a million dollars in my paycheck. I get 800,000, 80%. So logically, I think, uh, weaselly little heart that I have, I think I'll tithe on what I'm actually getting. Because I can't tithe on something I'm not actually getting. So if I'm getting 80%, well, I'll tithe on that. So that's going to be 8% of what my original paycheck was before the government took their cut. Listen to this. Catherine writes, I believe and have practiced, and Greg and I have practiced throughout our marriage, tithing on before tax income, or increase. After receiving a paycheck, the first check I write before I pay any bills or do anything else with the money is to write out our tithe check. So that's the principle of first fruits. I make sure that the check is dropped into the collection the following Sunday. We tithe on our before tax income because God comes before the state. I have recommended to people who want to tithe on their after tax income, that if they receive a federal, state, or local income tax refund, that they should tithe on that refund. Some Christian businesses tithe on their gross revenues. Gross and net, if you're a financial person, so gross is uh, gross is when you go fishing and you you put your net down and it's like and 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 the gross is like all the fish, all the slime, all the water, all the algae, all the seaweed. That's the gross. Okay, the net is what actually gets caught in the net that you pull in. So the gross is what was listed on the top of my paycheck: million dollars. The net is all the fish I actually caught and took home, um, $800,000, right? So gross net, net what you actually take home. Okay. Um, Some Christian businesses tithe on their gross revenues. In other words, they tithe on everything that comes in before subtracting expenses. These businesses often experience many blessings by doing this, although that is not the main reason they do it. They do it because they want to honor God from their increase. This is an example of going above and beyond. Most businesses tithe on their profits, revenues, minus expenses, and that is certainly acceptable. Question number eight, can I give more or less than that? You you can certainly give more, but you should never give less than the tithe unless you plan to and actually do pay it later with 20% added on. Leviticus 27.31. Are there exceptions to tithing, like when we can't afford it? We don't believe there are any valid exceptions. If you think you can't afford it, you need to look at your spending, budgeting, income, etc., and make adjustments. The tithe comes first. Number 10, to whom is the tithe owed? The tithe is owed to the local church where you are a member. Number 11, this is my favorite one. What about special offerings? What's the difference between that and a tithe? So why can't I give wherever I want? Like I give 10% and it goes to Christians somewhere. Why isn't that, is that right or is that wrong? The tithe goes to support the local church in its daily functioning. It supports the paid staff members, building costs and maintenance, educational materials, food and other supplies for fellowship activities, etc. A special offering is just that a special collection for a designated ministry or purpose. A special offering could be taken up for a particular need within the local church or for a ministry outside the local church. Number 12. I said that was my favorite one, but I think I have quite a few favorites. Number 12, did people in the Bible tithe their money or the food from their farms? What about me? Many people in the Bible, and most people in the ancient world, never had any money as we know it. Money in the ancient world was often in the form of metal coinage, and usually only wealthy people had any coins. Sometimes commodities like salt were used as a means of exchange. For people who gained their livelihood by farming and or raising livestock and who had no money, like coins, tithing was done by offering some of the livestock and agricultural products. That, you know, you're putting a basket of like the fruit of the ground, right? Today when we work, we are paid in money, not sheep or wheat, oil or wine. We exchange our money for the food and other items we need to live. When we tithe today, we pay it in the form of money. Question 13, when the government taxes me and God tells me to tithe, who gets first dibs? Okay, so we've gone over this question several times in different forms. Um, God always gets first dibs. So we tithe on our before-tax income. Uh, See Matthew chapter 22, verses 15 through 22. Number 14, when should I tithe or how often? Every time I attend church, or each paycheck, or twice a year, or there's this place in the Old Testament where it says the third year is the year of the tithe. That suits me. Um, Catherine writes, Greg and I believe that a Christian should tithe when he or she receives the increase. So we tithe on every paycheck. I estimate what our other forms of income are, and I add to each tithe, uh, each tithe check, uh, a tenth of my estimate of what we have received in the form of interest, dividends, etc., at the end of the year, I do a reconciliation to see exactly how much our income was from all sources and pay additional tithes if necessary. So that sounds like um, what Jesus was talking about when he talked to the Pharisees, and they're like, "You tithe ten percent of like every herb that grows in your garden, of your mint, of your dill, of your." Kuman, like you should have done, you should have paid your tithe and not neglected the weightier matters of the law, like justice and mercy, right? So is this taking it too far? Um, What I do at the end of the year, I say to Leah, Leah, did we tithe on our gross or net this year? And she's like, I don't know, she actually does know. And we pull up the annual statement from my company and from hers. And then, and then uh, and it tells us the exact like, dollar amount uh, that was the, the million and then the 800000 It's woefully less than that. <laughs> and uh, so this year we were $100 short for uh, 2020. So uh, we were $100 of income that we didn't count. So we're $10 short in tithe. So we've got to take care of that. Uh, what does God want me to tithe on? Number 15 my paychecks, or my tips and side jobs also. As stated previously, we believe that God wants us to tithe on all forms of increase. That would include tips and income from a side job. Um, An unnamed brother will recommend that the government uh, shouldn't be, that your tips shouldn't be taxed. All, number 16, who should decide where the money goes once I give it? Me or my congregation? Or my denomination or diocese? The tithe is for the use of the local congregation to support it so that it can continue the work of proclaiming the gospel and caring for the body of Christ Christ. Many congregations have a provision for church members to be involved in the decision-making process regarding how to use tithes. If you are a member of a church that is part of a denomination, often the denomination will make decisions about how to use the tithes given by members, right? So how should the money be used? Ephesians, like how do you know your church is doing the right thing with your tithe and not like, wasting it or squandering it on, you know, the parachurch ministry that you don't want to support, or giving it all to the senior pastor and neglecting the, the poor in your community. Well, we don't do that. Um, Ephesians 4, 11 through 13 says, quote, and he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So the tithe should go to support the efforts and activities described in these verses. So, so as this church grows and reproduces in the coming decades, um, you will be involved in the decision-making process of where the tithe is spent. And so we, we need to be uh, knowledgeable of all of these things. These activities, from Ephesians 4, describe what should be taking place within a local church. And the tithes of the members of that church should support those activities. And the people who obtain their livelihood from serving as apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers, that is, people who are in full-time ministry. Um, I think we have time for one more. Um, uh, let's uh, um, let's uh, just wrap up a couple minutes early and we'll, we'll finish this uh, in the next message so that we don't keep you from lunch. Um, so, uh, at the bottom of your, of your handout, there should be a thing that says for further reading. Um, do we have the, do you guys have that? Can somebody hold it up so I can see it? My handout's different. It's too far away. My contacts aren't like the right prescription. All right, so thanks. So you have, uh, thank you. So you have uh, for further study, um, this is really good. Um, it says Kaiser Commentary. If you, if, if you read the Old Testament and you're like, wait a second, I think the Christians in the Old Testament, the people of God in the Old Testament paid more than 10%, because there are actually different tithes. I read through this, it's very good. Um, it's technical and helpful, and it shows how the tithe transitioned from the Old Testament to the news, new. And the way I count it, the people of God in the Old Testament tithed more than we do by a lot. So I'm still trying to wrap my mind around that theologically, um, but if you, if you read the Old Testament and it sounds like they're not giving the 10% like I'm saying we give, uh, then, then study that further. It was very helpful for me. Um, here's an excellent message. Uh, it's a podcast called The Biblical Duty of Tithing by John Weiss, which you will find very helpful. Thank you. Question? Yes, so I'll have to decide if we'll go back through this. Um, uh, Probably we'll come back to it and finish because the conclusion is the best part, the real best part. Um, And if you wanna uh, come over to my house for dinner this week, um, just text me and say, when would you like me to come? And then we'll go through this. And um, I did not have time to read this, but it comes highly recommended. Um, I I went to bed at seven last night, and before you get jealous, I, I got up at eight, so I got one hour of sleep. Um, seven this morning, and I did not have time to read um, Roussas Rushduni and uh, Edward Powell's book, Tithing and Dominion, but uh, we've summarized some of the main points of it already, and you can borrow this, just grab it from me. Um, tithing is part of the work of taking dominion because the mandate given to Adam and Eve in the garden to be fruitful and multiply and to take dominion over the earth and subdue it is folded into the New Testament, Could we get the last slide? Uh, uh, Jesus' command to the disciples and we are those disciples that uh, all authority or all dominion in heaven and on earth is given to him. Therefore, we go and make disciples of all nations. So tithing is is essential for us who belong to the body of Christ and our money gets put to work because money by definition is the power to do work, right? So when I tithe, I'm doing the work of the ministry and I can take pride and I regularly have this uh, sense of urgency and joy when uh, I see like the, the updates on how much we still owe on the, uh, the uh, what's the word for how much you pay on a thing, a loan, the church, the loan for the building, uh, the mortgage, thank you. I didn't get much sleep, so, um, so, one thing I get excited about is paying off uh, things that, that I owe or that we owe and we still owe in the building and I am excited that my ties and uh, when we have the opportunity, um, special offerings, go to help paying down the mortgage and that's something I personally look forward to because then it means we'll be able to hire somebody else to be a full-time evangelist and I'm really excited about, even if I'm not the one going out door to door because we have three little ones at home and I'm at home, not door to door, Um, somebody else is doing the work that I'm paying to be done. And that gives me great joy. And I take pride in participating in the work of the ministry and belonging to this community in that way. Tithing is the sign that you belong to Christ. And it's how we get the work done, partly. But you also should volunteer as much of your time as you have. So let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you have given for us not... 10% 10% of what you had, you gave us everything, you stepped down from heaven, you, you embodied your generosity and your full intent to accomplish your faithfulness, which has become for us our righteousness and our safety, our, not just our hope of going to heaven, but our confidence that we belong to you that in life and in death we belong to you, and that we're part of a team, uh, a community. Oh, so much more than that, we're part of your family. We are amazed that you haven't just called us servants, you've called us friends. What kind of person am I that I could be a friend to you? We are amazed that you have not just called us friends, you've called us brothers when you said to uh, Mary, I think, go and tell my brothers. That's like one of the best verses in the Bible. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you have made us brothers or brothers and sisters, but like, we all inherit, we all have the full rights of sonship. So like, we all get a full cut of the inheritance and we have inherited you and nothing less. We pray that you would uh, turn our hearts and minds, and renew us from, uh, from our old way of thinking to being all in. We pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on us to fill us with zeal for uh, discipling the nations in this gospel which has and is transforming us and which can and will transform all peoples of the earth so that everyone will rise up and call you blessed. Thank you, Lord. And we long for the gospel to continue its work so that all of the families of the earth are blessed and blessed and blessed more. And that the earth is terraformed into a giant Garden of Eden, the fulfillment of the original Garden of Eden, so that all the world is brought like a footstool under your feet. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, amen.